0: Right. Hello, and welcome to the next edition of the Meg Podcast. Um, we have the usual suspects with us: Richard Jeffrey Cook and Matt Haywood, and joining us this evening, partly because of the subject, and partly because he suggested it. <laughs> as well, we have Rob Hutton. Hi. How are you So, doing? so w- welcome aboard. Um, I'm sure you'll bring us lots of lots of interesting information because. The subject tonight is Indian armies, or at least a selection of them, don't worry, we're not, we're not going to try and do a five-hour podcast going through every single Indian army in the lists, um, I think we'd fall asleep, let alone you dear listener. Um, so we've picked a a number out of the the, the range of Indian armies that um, are available in MEG, so essentially we're picking from round about, what, well, about three and a half thousand years of history, I suppose, from, because the the Vedic Indian through to, to f- the ones that run up to the end of Meg, um, We are going to have some history as usual, but again, don't worry. We're not going to give you three and a half thousand years of history, partly because Indian history is is quite convoluted at times. Um, but Richard, as, as our, our lead historian as ever, has got, got some ideas on how we can just do some, some history for you. So perhaps on that note, I will just hand over to Richard to kick us off.
1: Thank you, Nick, and good evening, everyone. Uh, So we thought we, when covering the history, we would focus on the invasions of India rather than uh, Indian history itself, mainly because there are an awful lot of Indian kingdoms and empires that rise and fall um, over the 3000 plus years that make covers, so um, it, it, it would be very confusing uh, and, and quite difficult to explain. So we thought we'd focus on the invasions. First off, I'm going to start with a bit of geography. Um, so the Indian subcontinent uh, essentially is bounded to the southeast, south and southwest by the Indian Ocean. Um, To the east, you have the jungles of Southeast Asia. Um, To the north, you have the Himalaya mountains. And to the west, you have uh, a lot of desert. Um, So as a result, most of the invasions of India actually have arrived from the northwest. Um, And that is the route that um, most people have invaded India from uh and so um the the northwest of India obviously there are the mountain ranges and the passes through uh, uh the Hindu Kush and of course the famous Khyber Pass if you've ever watched carry on up the Khyber you know it looks just like uh <laughs> I think that wasn't it Cumbria they filmed it in somewhere like that
0: it it, it definitely wasn't the real Khyber pass <laughs>
1: um so, yeah, the, the real Khyber Pass probably the mountains are a little bit higher. Um, the, um, to, around that area, as, as you go further um, uh, east and south, it becomes hotter. Uh, you come into the monsoon territories of India. Um, but um, there also, India, of course, has areas, considerable areas of desert. Um, particularly the Tar Desert, but as you go further south, of course, it gets hotter and hotter. Um, It actually becomes less suitable for maintaining and um, for horses, Um, so as a result um, you get uh, more jungles and mountains and you have greater numbers of elephants, although elephants were extremely widespread throughout the whole of the ancient Indian period. Um, So The the earliest history we have of India um, includes uh, the texts known as the Vedas. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, All pronunciations are a bit dodgy. um, So apologies to any Indian experts. The Vedas themselves were uh, religious texts that were composed in Sanskrit. And in those texts, they actually describe conflicts between uh, the non-Vedic Indian Aryan tribes and the Vedic Aryans Um, and these were conflicts that went around um, occurred during the period sort of 1500 to 1000 BCE Um, but the earliest uh, sort of invasion of India that is mentioned in any histories is that of the Achaemenid Persians Um, it is actually thought that Cyrus the Great um, actually conquered India up to northwest India up to the banks of the River Indus, uh, and in doing so created the satrapy of uh, Gandhara. Um, however, there is actually no firm evidence of Persian occupation of India until the reign of Darius I in 518 BCE, when uh, Darius issues what are known as I think the Bethune, uh Tablets. Um, And those actually are the first um, firm evidence of Persian occupation of India. Um, Unfortunately, there's almost no details known of the actual invasion itself. Um, We know that um, that part of um, India at the time seemed to consist of a multitude of smaller kingdoms, and presumably that's what allowed the uh, Achaemenid Persians to um, conquer the the area Um, the fascinating thing is actually um, according to Herodotus the tax revenues from India uh, and specifically from district 20 um, as Herodotus numbers the tax districts of the Persian Empire those themselves represent 32% of the total income of the Persian Empire uh, which is a phenomenal amount if correct um, the in- income apparently came from gold dust, uh, which I, I guess was panned from the rivers in that part of India. Um, but um, yeah, the the whole evidence of Persian occupation of India is very scarce. Um, we don't know really the extent of Persian rule in India. It's believed that um, they got as far as the Jhelum River. Um, And the sources do mention three Indian satrapies, uh, Satagidya, I hope I pronounced that right, Gandhara and Hindus. Um, And what we think is that Gandhara occupies the Peshawar Valley and that reaches as far southeast as the Indus River. uh, And that had a capital at Pushkavlavti, uh, which is Monchasada. Uh, in Pakistan. Um, The area south of that appears to have been Satagidia and the area east of the Indus, that seems to have been uh, Hindush, and it's believed the capital uh, was at Taxila, which is now near modern, it's just 25 kilometres northwest of modern Raupundi, uh, not too far from Islamabad. Um, The fascinating thing is that the Persians seem to have made very little impact on the culture of India Um, there's no real evidence of Persian a long Persian impact on on Indian culture although Zoroastrianism does actually um, occur in India for a few hundred years after um, the Persians um, uh, invade Um, so really um, Nothing major appears in the histories until the invasion of Alexander the Great. Now Alexander comes along in 327 uh, to 325 uh, BCE. He's already conquered the Persian Empire. Uh, He um, um, suppresses the revolts in Bactria and then heads over the uh, mountains to the Kabul Valley and then over the Hindu Kush into Um, Northwest India. Um, Now, by this time, it appears that the Persians had already lost control of the area east of the Indus River, because we know those were under separate um, Indian kings, Taxilis and of course Porus. Um, So it looks as if um, um, the Persian influence had already waned even prior to Alexander appearing. Um, he, of course, um, famously uh, fights the battle at Hydaspes, um, defeats Porus, who um, surrenders, and Alexander, of course, um, then gives him back his kingdom. Um, and the army marches on, but then mutinies at the river Hyphasis, uh, which is the modern Bias. So Alexander's army never gets as far as the Ganges Valley. Um, so Alexander, with very sort of bad grace then um, heads back um, uh, suppresses the indians as he um, marches down the indus uh, valley um, then sends a navy back um, along the um, indian ocean to the red sea the idea he then marches along in parallel with this and of course it all goes wrong because the navy gets delayed he doesn't get resupplied and he loses um, a substantial portion of his army in the deserts of um, Gedrosia and Carmania, uh, which are south of the Iranian plateau. Um, however, although this is a very short period, the uh, influence of the Greeks um, is very significant, um, not least because the conquest of Alexander seemed to have inspired Chandragupta to actually found the Mauryan Empire so the Mauryans actually conquer uh, most of northern India including the Hellenistic satrapies of Parapamasidiai which is the Greek name for Gandhara, um, Gedrosia which was to the south and Arachosia, which is actually the um, Greek satrapy in Afghanistan sort of uh, around the Kabul Valley sort of area um, and in fact um, yeah it's, it's probably not a huge surprise given that Alexander was only in India for three years that um, the and with the wars of successors the Greeks don't retain the, the, their areas in India um, and in fact Seleucus um, he actually concedes these satrapies in return for 500 elephants, which he takes back. Uh, and uh, they obviously play a key role in the victory uh, at Ipsos. Um, so thereafter, the Seleucid kings actually uh, maintain uh, good relations with the Morans. We know that uh, uh, Antiochus, the son of Seleucus, he actually uh, visits India. Um, and uh, there, there seems to have been some sort of uh, marital uh, pact. Um, it's not clear who married who, um, but um, there seems to have been uh, good relations and and it's probable the Seleucids um, um, continue to refresh their herd of elephants through these contacts in India. By about 255 BC um, the Parthians and the Gricobactrians actually secede from the Seleucid empire and so that the, the um, Seleucid empire is no longer directly um, linked to the um, uh, Moran empire um, but the um, actually the Gricobactrian kings then take advantage in the decline of the Moran empire and they actually invade uh, Arachosia and the Parapamisadi um, so um, moving the Greek influence back into uh, India um, Bactria would eventually be lost to a Saka invasion um, but the Greeks in India actually briefly flourish um, and um, have a um, very significant influence on Indian culture I mean it's interesting under the Mauryan Empire Imperial pro- proclamations were, are actually translated into Greek, and Greek um, seems to have been the um, sort of lingua franca of uh, north, that bit of northwest India that the Mirans had taken back from um, the, the Greeks. And in fact, the Greek Indo-Greek king Menander is actually mentioned in Sanskrit texts. Um, so. Um, the Greeks and the Indians seem to have gone particularly well, um, and the there are Indian statues of Greek gods, um, which show an Indian influence um, on, um, on 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 and the cultures sort of merging. So, um, yeah, and and the Greeks seem to have um, understood big Buddhism. Um, and a bit of buddhism was actually influenced by some of the greek um, beliefs as well the next invaders who come along to india are actually the indo-scivians and they these actually in the first century bc replace the indo-greeks in Gandhara. and they then move um, both south and east and from the first century bc to the fourth century Common era or AD, um, they are actually um, controlling areas of India. Um, during the first century AD or CE, they actually are subjugated by the Kushans. Um, but the, Indo- the Kushans seem to have been content to let Indian Indo-Scythians continue to rule the satraps. Um, and they known as the Northern Satraps and the Western Satraps. And these um, actually last, um, until the last Western satrapy actually fell to the Gupta Indians. Uh, when we come to my army list choice, you'll see that's the Gupta Indians. Um, the, in the Indo-Scythians in Northwest India, this gets where it gets a bit complicated, they were actually replaced by the Indo-Parthians, or a bit more complicated I should say. Um, <laughs> Um, the India Parthians uh, were actually a Parthian noble dynasty who seemed to have moved from Seistan, um, which is sort of Helmand area of um, Afghanistan in the west of Afghanistan. They sort of moved up um, um, towards um, India um, and they, they have a reign until they are um, sort of replaced by the expanding Kushan empire. So um, the Kushans themselves, they get replaced around 390 CE uh, by uh, the Kidarites. These are, these are also known by the Greek name of Kionites. Um, um, they seem to last for about 50 years or so and they then are in turn replaced by uh, the Alkon Huns. Um, they, the Alkon Huns. Uh, first off, it's worth saying they're not Huns in the sense of Western Huns. Um,
0: Great, <laughs> right. just um, the clarity. <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: in fact, modern scholarship believes they're actually early Turks, uh, and have have nothing to do with the Huns. Um, themselves but they're also sometimes known as the white Huns Um, and to further confuse things the Indian word uh, for uh, is Hunas um, which um, looks very much like Hun um, but actually I think has a different etymological origin. Um, So clear as mud then. So yeah anyway So the Alcon Huns are displaced from Bactria by the Hethlites Um, so they get pushed um, and decide India seems a good place to get pushed to. Uh, Hang around till about 520 see Um, and then they get defeated by uh, principalities who were supported by the Gupta Empire. and uh, that's that they they do, however, hang on in bits of Gandhara and the Kashmir region until they themselves were conquered in about 625. Um, the, the effect of the Hun, Hunas, the Hun invasions, however, is it did um, help to play a part in the collapse of the Gupta Empire, um, which um, leads us um, to around as I say, we've reached around 625 um, CE and of course at that time we see in further West the emergence of the Arabs and it's the Arabs who are going to play a part in the subsequent invasions of India and at this point I'm going to hand over to Nick who might have a little bit to say about the Arab invasions of India.
0: <laughs> OK, well, thank you very much for that Richard, I don't know about anything else I've learned something there you know I, I thought i had a bit of an overview of, of the period but um again yeah, the, the huns who aren't huns even though they're called huns <laughs> yeah <laughs> that, that's so
1: it's also true of the sabir as well um they were called huns and and now
2: it's believed they they had nothing to do with with the huns as well right. I, I, i'm still hung up on the uh how about i give you 500 elephants and you let me have this territory it's like 500 elephants it's just... Sorry, I can't even imagine five hundred elephants in, you know awesome um, negotiating skills by somebody. Well,
1: the Empire of Harsha is uh, is said to have had sixty thousand elephants. Um, <laughs> now, that might be an exaggeration, um, but I think it gives you a clue that there were plenty of elephants.
0: Mm-hmm. In... So 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 basically Chandra got to go, oh he wants how many? Five hundred? Oh yeah, we'll just get it. <laughs> <laughs> he can have them. Plenty yeah. <laughs> more where they come from. This <laughs> is a sort of astounding, isn't it? So yeah. Great. Anyway, I, I will I will take up the narrative now. Um, so as, as Richard has just said, we sort the next incursions into India, um, although they start mainly in Afghanistan and Pakistan, or the modern areas that are Afghanistan and Pakistan. Um, They started quite shortly after the fall of the Sassanid Persian Empire. Um, But these were really just raids. There weren't that many Arabs that far east, you know, and after the fall of the Persian Empire, the Arabs are starting to get spread quite thinly across their ever expanding empire. So for a while you get get raids with very little permanent impact. Following the establishment of the Umayyad Caliphate um, around 660 C.E., um, there are further attacks and they start becoming a bit more organized, especially from the the garrison cities of Basra and Kufa, um, where where more organized expeditions are sent out from the the now settling down Arab tribes. Um, And and these start have the intention of actually conquering parts of India. Um, but, the, again, the, these were quite unsuccessful. You know, they, they're a long way from home. The, the logistics are quite difficult. Some of them are attempted by sea, um, but they weren't really successful until those launched around 710 CE started to make permanent gains. And by 724, um, there was a, an established, what well, you might you might call it, an Islamic State along the Ganges, although it was part of the Umayyad Caliphate and, and did... Um, acknowledge the caliph in Damascus. I nearly said Baghdad then, but it's Umayyad, so it's Damascus. Um, the they, they didn't actually last that long, um, really. Um, around They were lost to the caliphate around about 750 during the Abbasid Revolution, and by about the mid-9th century CE, they, they really ceased to exist as proper Muslim states. It's they'd, they'd been absorbed into... The greater Indian um, culture of the time, although Islam itself did retain its presence, um, with Ismaili Shiaism gaining influence at the time. Um, uh, quite a long way from where it started, but uh, it, it hung on there. The after that we have a slight, a slight delay, and then the next big event in terms of India is the the arrival of Mahmud of Ghazni, who quite a few people will have heard of. Obviously, the, the Ghaznavid army is. Uh, a war game staple going back for ages. Um, now, um uh, presented himself as a, a, a proper Ghazi, you know, a fighter for Islam, and it's reckoned he led something like 17 raids into India um, during his reign, although he didn't actually conquer that much territory, he didn't stay, they, they really, really were raids. Um, you know, as far as I can see, he seems to have viewed India with its very rich temples, you know, we you. talking know, about, if, you know, it does substantiate what Richard was saying about the wealth of India in A.K. at times. That carries on. Lots of gold. Lots of it in, in temples. Um, Mahmud seems to have sort of viewed India a bit like a piggy bank Every, and used it to go on a big raid, loot a temple, drag off all the valuables and use these to finance your wars elsewhere. All under the umbrella of being a fighter for Islam, performing your, your duty of jihad against the unbeliever. Um, and because of this, uh, he's pretty much reviled by Hindus to this day for the very obvious reason. Um, so, uh, you know, he's he's whilst he's popular amongst the Islamic sections, he's not popular amongst the Hindus. Oh. Um, so, from about ten thirty CE, the the Ghaznavids then did start to conquer parts of India. They conquered Lahore, uh, which became their second major city, um, and then over time, over the rest of the um, 11th century CE, they they became more and more involved in India as the Turks pushed them out of their other territories further west. Um, And so really they became a a Northern Indian state based on Lahore until, and they stayed there until they were extinguished by the Gurids in 1187 CE, when they finally conquered Lahore. Um, So that brings on to the Gurids who are expanding from the Afghanistan area, um, which they took over as the Guru, as the Ghaznavids started to fail, and then and then started to expand into northern India, in, you know, in the same way that Mahmud had, except with more of an eye to conquering. Um, under the one of their sultans, Muiz Ad Din Muhammad, they again tried to conquer parts of India, and initially were rebuffed. But in eleven ninety two CE, at the Second Battle of terrain, um, they defeated their Hindu opponents and went on to conquer Delhi and a major part of North India, all the way across eastwards to the Ganges. Um, following muez dins assassination in 1206 CE, his senior Gilman took over control of the Indian territories that had been part of the Gurid Empire. They claimed that this had been muez dins intention honest his governor, and all along he'd intended to pass it to, the, to these loyal servants of his. Um, all of whom are Turkish Mamluks, basically. Um, And these these Mamluks went on to establish a number of sultanates across the north of India, one of which was the sultanate based in Delhi. Um, And after a bit of a shaky start, the Delhi sultanate emerged as the most powerful of the successor sultanates. And over time, and by the end of the 13th century, in fact, controlled most of the Indian subcontinent, although that then receded as it proved unable to hold it. Um, and that's really it for the for the Muslims and really it for the major invasions, I think, for the period covered by Meg. Um, just a quick comment on uh, the Mongols and Timur, who people will be thinking, well, surely they invaded. Well, the Mongols did have a bit of a stab at North India, but they didn't really like it. They didn't really, and it was only really after Genghis um, and, by, and the time the empire was starting to break up. And and really, it was just, I think it was too much trouble. It didn't suit their tactics. It didn't suit their horses, as Richard's already said. Horses don't actually get on very well in India. Um, and certainly the, the Muslim Sultanates imported vast amounts of horses in their time from mainly from Arabia and Persia. So so the the Mongol influence in North India was minimal. Um, and again, Timur, although he virtually conquered the Delhi Sultanate, it really was just a more again a glorified raid. He came, he went, and the and the Sultanate recovered somewhat after that. So they don't really count as invasions in my book. <laughs> Certainly not ones that caused any lasting, lasting occupation. So there we are. That's that. So my, my bits, probably more well known to people than some of Richard's, I think. But uh, that covers the the major invasions of India. I don't know if anybody's got any. If Matt or Rob have anything they wish to add to that. Um,
3: I can just say, I mean, a lot of that is obviously very northwest. Uh, North, north North (laughs) northeast. getting the geography wrong, Um, focus. But there's a lot of also activity going down in the south of India with the various different um, empires and things that were coming up and going up from the south. And it's sort of, as far as I understand it, and I'm not an expert on the history, you've got a lot of the Hindu um, elements down in the south Going up around and off to the um, the east side of things and conquering territory up around there. Some people like the, the Cholas, for example. I mean, they were very much going the other direction and going up <laughs> <laughs> well, <they laughs> are... sort of but, I mean they I mean the Chola, for example, is one of the longest lasting empires in history, apparently, from what I've been reading. Yeah. So they so they're sort of it seems like India's divided into two halves or the two things. I'm not sure about the geography exactly,
0: but I'm assuming it's down where a river would divide mostly. Rivers are often boundaries. So that is that a, a, they were of a, a native Indian state, were they? Yeah, but...
1: yeah so the, the Cholas are one of the um, empires in the South. Um, you also get you get Tamil empires. Um, in fact one one of the last Meg period invasions of India is the bizarre Ming treasure fleet of I think it's something like 1420 that actually arrives off the um, coast of Ceylon um, and then um, basically almost inadvertently um, kicks out the ruler <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, and suddenly finds that it's, it's got a whole load of angry people who want to attack them. So they, <laughs> yeah. they rather rapidly head back to their ships. Um, but uh, it, it's, um, yeah, um, th- that's perhaps a story for another time.
0: Yeah, and I think, sorry, Robbie, I think you were about to say something. No, no. I was, I was, gonna, I was, I was just going to say, of course, you yeah, know, in India. Well, again, story for another time is there's a lot of Indian influence going eastward as well into Southeast Asia. So, you know, yeah, it's, it's, not all, it's not only about the, the nasty people coming from the northwest frontier into India. India's so big. <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I think also there is at least one Tibetan invasion of India. But um, I must admit, I don't have any details
0: of that. It wouldn't surprise me. I think during the time of the Tibetan Empire, they were they attacked out of sort of modern Tibet quite a lot, didn't they? So it wouldn't surprise me. Um, and, and the
2: oddity with the Ming treasure fleet invasion is the admiral was actually from a Muslim family. Oh, right. <laughs> so, so, so technically it was probably a Muslim invasion, not a, not a Chinese invasion. <laughs> I,
0: I'm sure the locals really appreciated that subtle difference. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> OK, folks, I think we've spent a, a, a good time on history. There. we have covered, covered some highlights of, i said, the best part of three and a half thousand years. So I think it's time to be moving on towards the armies, the, the mega armies from, from India. But perhaps before we dive into the individual lists, we could um, just maybe spend a little bit of time just, just looking at some of the common features across these lists, because the number of troop types are fairly common to Indian armies and maybe just you know how they work and any thoughts on that
1: yes so if I may um, so traditionally Indian armies consisted of four elements um, elephants chariots cavalry and infantry Um, so that that was the traditional breakdown of the army so um, elephants are pretty much a feature of Uh, of most Indian armies. Um, There are a few republican Indian states around the time of Alexander that seem to have not uh, had, um, because elephants tended to be the um, control of the nobility and the uh, royalty so the republican uh, states that develop in India don't seem to develop the elephant arm. But they're very much an exception and otherwise um, elephants are the sort of key um, prestige arm of, of the Indian armies um, and uh, typically uh, the animal has a crew on its back, um, it's supported by uh, foot uh, who accompany the elephants um, and um, i think a lot of internal um indian warfare was um um who had the um sort of greater number of elephants and the prestige to um override your your opponents um richard I, sorry
0: can i sorry, sorry. but in there but it sort of popped into my head you just say about the elephants are supported by infantry Presumably in in the Meg list, these are the ones that have archer archer ability rather than being in some sort of mixed tug.
1: Um, Yeah, we tend to, um, we're not always consistent in always giving archer ability based on the accompanying foot. Um, To be honest, there's probably a bit of randomness in whether... (laughs) elephants get bow capability or not
0: list writing is an art not a science
1: (laughs) Um, and uh, yeah it's something i probably wouldn't be able to justify too accurately Um, so but it's it's probably fair to say that elephants tended to be accompanied by um, supporting foot in most armies in most spheres actually. Um, it, probably in Southeast Asia you get the elephants with the most foot that accompany the elephants, um, they, they seem to, to, to develop it to the largest degree but it occurs pretty much everywhere uh, to a lesser or greater extent. Um, the Greeks seem to, um, if they didn't invent it, they seem to be the ones who, who put the towers on the elephants. Um, And um, certainly that that then influences later cultures as well. Um, And then you also see at various times elephant armour. Which again, we've we've been fairly restrictive with, um, but um, particularly in there are fine examples of uh, later elephant armour from the 14th century onwards, um, and an elephant in in armour. He certainly looks an impressive. Uh, must have looked as an impressive beast indeed. I
0: wouldn't stand in front of it. I, would,
1: I wouldn't get. I wouldn't get anywhere near elephants. If you if you ever seen the um, Mussolini's propaganda film of Zama, <laughs> where there are charging elephants. Uh, they, they managed to get these elephants uh, from, I think they were circus trained elephants and they're running along at about 25 to 30 miles an hour. Um, and there isn't a lot that's going to stop an elephant going at that speed.
3: <laughs> no, sir. devastating <Never laughs> <stayed> charge.
1: <laughs> yes, a bit more than sharp probably. Um, uh, moving on, um, chariots. Um, certainly, uh, at the time of Alexander's invasions, chariots were still a feature of Indian warfare. Um, they tend to disappear out in um, within the sort of next uh, couple of hundred years. There's very little evidence except in the far south for chariots um, uh, beyond the sort of first century um, uh, BC even. Um, but uh, there's actually precious little information about Indian chariots we're not even completely sure whether they were four horse or two horse there seems to have been a mixture a bit like the Chinese actually of different sizes the problem is the Indian words for chariots um, don't tell you actually how many horses or the size of the chariot really so they're not particularly helpful and there's actually not that much imagery of Indian chariots and what there is it's sometimes difficult to distinguish it from civilian transport so All
0: right.
1: um, so there are chariots um, but chariots basically have disappeared after about the first century BC um, the cavalry was very much the third arm in Indian armies um, and um, partly because, as we've mentioned, particularly in the south of India, um, rearing of horses is difficult. Um, you never see large numbers of them. Um, in the north and northwest, uh, you see more uh, evidence of um, cavalry. And certainly um, the Gupta, there's Gupta Indians certainly used uh, lance cavalry. The Indo-Greeks, I mean, there's a very nice... Um, Indo-Greek coin which actually shows a lancer also carrying a bow, surprisingly um, uh, on horseback on one of the Indo-Greek king's coins. Um, So we believe the Indo-Greeks certainly use lancers and it seems the Scythians and Kushans also introduced the idea of lance armed cavalry to the Indians. Um, But that probably the first time they ever saw that being used effectively was probably Alexander the Great and his companions which must have been quite a shock to the likes of Porus at the time Um, the infantry themselves um, they varied in quality enormously from um, mercenaries and professional paid um, warriors um, down to basically a peasant levy Um, obviously when you get the Brahmin castes, then Um, soldiering is a particular occupation of of particular castes Um, but but bear in mind the caste system is not universal in India throughout the ancient period and it varies from uh, place to place Um, but the bow was definitely a favoured weapon amongst the Indians Um, uh, a a fairly long uh, self-bow um, certainly, probably doesn't justify the power bow qual- qualification that used to be in WRG
0: fifth edition, I think it was. We think. Oh, yeah, the, the, the good old the longbow and yeah. two handed sword. Two-handed didn't they, from... sword.
1: <laughs> yeah, the, the, the swords were definitely um, used, but um, the quality of the iron was again highly variable from uh, probably. Um, professional soldiers and guards with very good quality swords through to a lot of um, swords that probably bent on impact uh, a bit like the Gauls I think who are the Romans <laughs> are, are sort of straightening their swords after they've ch- tried to take the head off a legionary and
3: failed. Um, and I, did, I did hear that the Damascus steel event originated partly in India
1: yeah uh, it, the yeah, the idea that Indian iron is always of poor quality mm-hmm. is definitely not true. Um, the, the, there's good evidence for quality iron um, existing as well as um, as examples which seem to have been a lot poorer. Of course, the the whole subcontinent is a huge place, and, and the resources um, vary widely from uh, place to place.
0: Richard, there's a it- I mean that, that that's all that, really fascinating stuff, and the sort of four different, four-way split for Indian armies. I mean, I've always had an impression that India, despite the number of invasions we talked about, um, Indian armies don't seem to have, on the whole, picked up on the invaders' technology, if you like, very much. Part, you know, apart maybe from Guptas with the, the the lances you mentioned, but you know, I think
1: Sure, I would necessarily agree with that. Um, I think one of the problems is that there's, until recently, there's been relatively little information on Indian armies available. Um, And um, what is available is uh, often quite difficult to interpret. so I, I think I think there's reasonable evidence the Indians weren't averse to adopting other technologies. Just that you're in the unique situation where elephants dominate warfare throughout the period. Therefore, a lot of tactics which might have been appropriate in other places aren't going to work in
0: India. Yeah, yeah. and I uh, suppose the difficulty with horses that you've already highlighted means. There are, and, and, and lots of jungle in various places it means you're not going to, I suppose, adopt horse archer tactics massively.
1: Indeed. I mean, I think there's quite good evidence when firearms start becoming available, the Indians adopt firearms um, just as readily as anywhere else in the
0: um, Arab world, for example. OK, so I'm, I'm, maybe my impression's wrong. Wouldn't be the first time. Um <laughs> Yeah, that that would that would be
1: my assessment. So, uh,
2: oh, sorry, sorry, Nick. I was just going to say you you do mention one other consistency of the Indian army's jungle.
1: Oh, all yes. the
0: lists allow jungle terrain, which is <laughs> <laughs> yes. no, not that we're stereotyping the subcontinent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: it's, uh, it, I, I think probably if you look across the whole of India, you've got pretty much every sort of terrain. Perhaps with the exception of steps, um, you've certainly got desert. You've got um, wide areas of, of reasonable agricultural land. You get quite a lot of city building. Um, you've got some pretty impressive mountain ranges. You've got coastal <laughs> districts. Um, so you can pretty much have the full range of terrain across India.
0: It is, yeah. So so in. in In terms of those common troop types in Meg, I suppose you have to say elephants always stand out with Indian armies, don't they? You you say they were the the dominant part of it, and I think think they are in Meg armies, aren't they? Apart from maybe the very early ones, which Rob will probably come on to shortly.
1: Uh, Yeah, I I think most of the Indian lists have mandatory elephants. I haven't checked that to be honest <laughs> that, that would be my feeling so um yes and, and uh, except for the early uh, Indus civilization and vedic armies I think you're pretty much looking at elephants throughout the Indian lists
0: on which note shall we move on to lists and starting with said vedics uh, yep. Rob who has a Vedic army has used the army multiple times am I right Rob? yeah that is very much I'm true sure you can you can take us oh, through the well, uh, list possibly one you've even used
3: yes. um I'll just sort of give a little background on to why I ended up with a Vedic army it was yeah. an accident um being quite relatively new to the bank. Scene. Um last year, I sort of started going to the tournaments, and I was looking at competing in the in both warfare and uh, the rebel uh, tournament. And I was originally going to go within the Syrian army for warfare, and also, and then I was looking around for something really unusual for um, the rebel tournament, and I ended up looking at the Vijayanaga. Um, army for that. And then various circumstances um, occurred, such as really falling out of love with the figures that I bought for the Assyrian army uh, running out of time. And I decided, well, what can I do? Because I've got to get an army up for warfare. And I thought, I'd look through the, say, maybe I can get an Indian list in, um, which means I could potentially use some of the troops that I'd already got for the Vijayanaga. And that's where it happened on the later Vedic list. It looked simple. Cool, it looked OK. It was sort of that's where I'm going. It, it, so <laughs> that's that sort of ended up being a thing. And from that, it's sort of my interest in the Indian ar- Army spirit has sort of grown a bit. Um, but yeah, the. I've used the Vedic Indian Army twice. First of all in um, Warfare, and then secondly in uh, fire, fire and Ice um, back in January. Um, the army list that I've actually got here is actually the the variant that I used in Fire and Ice, albeit slightly cheaper because it's now in the 2022 list, whereas the Fire and Ice was uh, still stuck in the 21 lists. But oh, I, was, yes. I copied it in and it came to about 10 points cheaper.
0: Oh, <laughs> such massive savings!
3: To go through the um, troop types for the Vedics, um, there's not a lot of choice, so it sort of builds itself. Really, um, you you do have elephants, but you don't actually have to have any elephants. So you can have up to four of them, um, and they're they're just average, protected chuff, tribal loose, usual bog standard elephant I would say. Um, And then next up you've got the Heroic Charioteers which are probably the best troops in the list totally. They they are the Form Loose, Superior Protected with Experienced Bow and Optional Dismounted. and they dismount as uh formed loose superior protected two-handed cut and crush which makes them slightly tasty when it comes
0: to -to (laughs) hand-to-hand. that that is a really unusual dismount
2: (laughs)
3: yeah
1: um it's worth saying this is based on the vedic text which describes Mm. all the uh charities as carrying huge maces um so uh it's, it's a bit of uh, artistic license.
0: Yeah. Uh, the text says so. I, I, I believe remembering seeing see, long, long time ago, well, uh, I think Channel 4 showed the Mahabharata. Yeah. Indeed. Uh, as, as a series and I, I distinctly remember people wielding unfeasibly large clubs as part of that so yeah. you know I'm, I'm I'm up for it yeah, i'm well well into the idea that this is this is a good primary source yeah.
3: well i I've, I've sort of mixed my dismountable guys with clubs and swords all two-handed weapons so they all look you know cut and crush you know it does <laughs> take it literally yeah um so on to on to that then then you've got a choice of swordsmen. um which are just average protected melee expert Um, you can have up to 12 of them then there's the obligatory archers that every Indian army has I I would say Uh, tribal loose average unprotected experienced bow and an optional for combat shy you have to have 16 of those or up to 72 so I don't no way that anyone would actually put 72 of them in, in an army, but um, it, it could be an interesting try. Uh, next up are the followers, which are infantry, tribal, close, poor, unprotected. I would say cannon fodder, but I don't suppose they have cannons very often. <laughs> in the elephant, fodder. Yeah, <laughs> elephant fodder. Yeah, elephant fodder, yeah. So can't say that I've used them much, but uh, so. Um, <laughs> Then there's the skirmishing options, and there's two of those. Essentially, there's skirmishers with bows and skirmishers with slings. Um, you can have 12 skirmishers with bows and 12 and nine slingers. So that's and that is a lot for the entire entire list. So uh sorry, so the army that I actually put together, um, as I said, it was originally it wasn't quite. Like this for warfare, but this is the second one, which actually Richard had a hand in helping me design. I will after a a, a, a pasting. I think I got over Christmas <laughs> <laughs> against Richard, but uh, it was it was all practice for, for our eyes So what I've gone for is in terms of the command, I've started off with a talented, instinctive. I would say, yeah, all all the um, generals are instinctive in in this army. Um, So I've got talented instinctive as a commander. Two competent instinctive subs and a mediocre instinctive sub. So that's. Gives me enough command to do a lot, I think, and then in terms of picking the troop types, well, I went for the four elephants because it's an Indian army and originally the warfare tournament was a chariot-based thing and chariots don't like elephants. So that was my thinking, you know, once I'd realized that it was sort of like, ah, oh, yeah, that might scare a few people when <laughs> weren't <laughs> expecting any elephants to turn up. Um, then I went for the charity, the heroic charities, and I went for all four um, units of six. So there's essentially four units of six, superior chariots with dismountable so that gives me up to potentially six dismounted superior protected 200 cut and crush um units which you know can be quite useful at times uh then there's a then I went for two two units of swordsmen um and they just give the melee expert They're sort of the infantry type right? and then it after that, it's One, two, three, four four, four units of eight archers um, which are average, and then two units of six archers, which are poor. And then I' maxed out on the skirmishers with um, <laughs> two units of uh, the bow and one unit of the slingers, and uh, that sort of gives me a breakpoint of seven, which you know it's quite good. Uh, I can chuck the two army, the two poor units of um archers up the back somewhere to stay out of the way. And while well, the rest of the Indian army dies very quickly, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what I'll say is most of them are tribal loose, and that is one of the challenges with fight. Fighting, I think, with an Indian is you've got to get used to playing on reds and yellows to do anything fancy or thing. But you've got to learn that actually whites get you forward and stuff. So like that and you getting the terrain right is also another element with this. And I will say, in this, you get plains, coastal, and jungle.
0: Okay. So, uh, what what terrain do you think is good for this army? um well it's i've yet to find
3: be able to get the most successful terrain out there i think is <laughs> the biggest i mean the scouting is three but i think for most of the time i have been out scouted and have lost the set but then that was that's just the luck of the cards i think and most of the game have just been unfortunate you know it's it's got a P- pbs of six and Balances out, but I think I'm. But then I'm no expert in playing the game as yet, <laughs> so
0: yeah. I will. Say. Yeah, I mean, it, it looks to me that like you've got five really good units mm-hmm. your, your elephants and your your heroic charioteers, mm-hmm. um, a couple of units and the swordsmen. Pity that pity they're only sixes, I think.
3: Um,
0: and then, I mean, yeah. Uh, limited by the units. So. I mean, the skirmishers are useful. I, I, I do like, you know, there's, there's a bit of a theme on this podcast at the moment. We do like to see our skirmishers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, it's an obvious question. Have you, have you ever actually dismounted the chariots and used that too? I have dismounted them. Um, I did dismount
3: them at uh, Warfare a couple of times. And it just depends on getting the yellow cards to actually the dismount or you either start with them dismounted but then you lose the ability the maneuverability to to go so some cases it's been really successful other cases i fought the army and i just haven't had i've set out with them in friendly practice games i set out with the chariots and just not had the cars to dismount Mm -hmm. and you come up against some awkward troop types and you get absolutely mown down um <laughs> even though you know superior chariots with superior boat, you know, you're trying to you skirmish away, but sometimes that doesn't always work. So um I've been on the wrong end of elephants myself with this army and the chariots. <laughs> <laughs> so you <laughs> know about, how
0: they work. You know, I yeah.
1: think my 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 thoughts about the army is that you you, you really do have to decide. How you're going to use the chariots quite early on, you can't wait until you're into the action, yeah. Um, to dismount them, so it, it's quite a tough, um, it's probably not always going to be a clear cut choice. It's one you've got to make quite early and hope you get it right. Um, but I mean, I, I, it's an interesting army. Um, I think I would probably actually go more on the command uh, even to the extent of dropping a couple of tugs of archers just that would be my preference for the balance not that there's anything wrong with your army rob but that that would just be the way i'd try to play it i think um i I, other than that i think the the army is as good as it's going to get um it's always a challenge to use archers the problem is you've got to get things in the right place at deployment yeah. um, and deployment is going to be fairly crucial to the success of the army so if it's out scouted it's going to be quite a tough
3: tough fight. I, yeah. think. I, think, I think, think it nice. works better in the period as opposed to out of the period so what I found is I mean with the army I used it uh, warfare. I did actually have two talented and two competent generals in there, and I did have less. I only had four units of archers in that, and that actually worked better. But then again, it was in the period, and I managed to get better results than I did at the Fire and Ice, which was coming up against um samurais half the time um <laughs> so it was just like uh yeah that's not gonna
0: yeah i, I think yeah I'd, I'd... that's a tough match yeah that that's tough and i, I think i'd agree with richard I, I don't think... want to see another one of them again in my life <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think more command would be good on the, this one, because of the facts Richard mentioned, and, and the fact you mentioned, you know, get it—you need that yellow to dismount, and if you're not getting it, well, more cards gives you more chances, yeah. of course, depending how you've allocated. Well, I've got
3: to look forward to. To I'm going to use it in campaign in the campaign.
0: Oh right, so it's coming out again. So, and
3: I think the next—I think there's another chariot wars option at some other point in later on in the year. So, I am going to bring it out again a couple of times at least to uh, and I might revert to the original
0: list that I had for warfare in those options yeah. well that, that's got to be a vote of confidence for you it must be enjoyable enough to use then yeah
3: I mean I spent long enough painting them so <laughs>
0: <laughs> get, get, get the use out of them they can sometimes be that bloody mindedness isn't it I mean, I'm going to use it till whatever you whatever you set yourself as that so uh so we, we shall see it again.
1: Mm-hmm,
0: definitely. See it again. Okay. Matt, any thoughts? Yeah, it's one of those I've looked at before, and I do do like both versions of
2: his list and uh, of Rob's list. And uh, yeah, those those chariots really intrigue me because it, 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 I've always felt the Indians have a difficulty in keeping nasty stuff off their infantry. Even the elephants are not always great at doing that. And the speed and mobility... Uh, the closest I I get to it is the Kushite Egyptians are allowed four horse, exactly the same chariot, but without the dismount and they are so useful. They are so annoying to kill (laughs) and you've got four blocks of these things. And I mean, even not running away and taking the hit as they charge, you can often break them off, you know, rather than, you know, run back, get yourself out of position. You can actually stand there, shoot being superior, take the combat and then drop out in the melee. And yeah. Yeah. It's one I'd be tempted to try at some point. It's got some interesting twists. Yeah, I really like it. I don't want to fight it, but
0: I really like it. <laughs> it's got it's got Matt's seal of approval. Oh, wow. It's Not uh, necessarily a good thing, <laughs> given that I generally consider his armies at least partially insane. You know? I'm not sure where that leaves us. <laughs> but uh, no, it's really it's good and presumably as well. Actually, you know, you said you. You, 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 the army came out of a desire not to use the Anagar again, oh, or, or, or you aborted that uh, project. But I mean, it does show that the what you've got with quite a lot of these Indian armies is things like the archers and I suppose the, the swordsmen as well can re- it be used mm. for a lot of armies quite legitimately. You know. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've figured out that I can pretty much once I've got
3: all the core units built for. But I can pretty much field any army from any period of the main period. So you can do chariot, classical, uh, early medieval, late medieval, right up to. I think it's just finding the right armies to go at the right. <laughs> you know, as I said, at the early period you've got limited choice, but more cavalry comes in, and you get more options for more elephants later on. I mean, I did try the Chola Empire. At, um uh back which did okay but it needs it was a 15 minute throw together list which because i was late going in that one and that was uh, that actually did okay
0: for the first game
3: and that you know that was 12 12 the first game so it was uh, but then it went downhill after that so, so
0: th- those those 15 minute throw together lists in my my experience they're either absolute genius or a bit iffy shall we say
1: (laughs) mine are always iffy oh
0: mine are i think it's people people like matt throw them together and come out with something you go that's genuinely insane but also genius
3: yeah it was more the case of the that that one is more the case of the the two elephants um was it four uh let's six
0: Units of two elephants in that one. Oh no, I don't like two elephants. No. <laughs> it's way too brittle for my liking. Yeah. Um, but so. I'm sure we'll talk about elephants in pairs later on. Oh, but maybe, But to, to pick up on the point you just made about later armies getting maybe more elephants and more cavalry, let us that smoothly takes us into Richard's lists, which is a okay. Gupta Indian.
1: Yes, so I, this is an army I used uh, a couple of years ago um was it roll call um maybe it was a um anyway it was a it, it fitted the theme and uh, i i remembered I, I did reasonably well with it so uh my gupta indian starts off with its four instinctive commanders a talented army commander and three competence uh it has a poor flexible camp That's just because it fitted the points. Uh, I have three units of three elephants, Um, so I've gone for threes. Um, We were talking about twos of elephants are very brittle, Um, fours uh, quite quite expensive, so (laughs) I've compromised with three lots of three. Um,
0: Is is it just a compromise?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, is it a good compromise? Oh, that's. So then along with that, I have a unit of javelinmen. They're compulsory, tribal, loose, average, protected, unskilled javelin. Um, And then four units of the combination spearmen archers. So they are units of nine, uh, three spearmen, tribal, flexible, average, protected, short spear. And the rear two ranks are tribal, loose, average, unprotected, experienced bow so they are uh, um, archers with a thin sort of veneer at the front that can fight um, along with that i have uh, two units of lancers this is the punch of the army form loose superior protected charging lancer melee expert um, and along with that a unit of horse archers who are form flexible average unprotected experienced bow uh and then just one unit of skirmishing archers uh, six of average unprotected experienced bow combat shy and that comes out at nine nine eight seven points in the 2022 list um so pbs of six scouting of two um so um but the army i if it's out i have a pretty solid deployment which is um, spearmen intermixed with the elephants, so the spearman archer units intermixed with the elephants. Javelinmen to defend some rough terrain or hopefully on a hill, something like that. And then the cavalry I tend to keep back as a reserve command and then send them left or right as and when the opportunity arrives. If I had scout my opponent it just becomes slightly easier because I can position things a bit more where I want to so the cavalry usually start off pointing at the target they want to aim at Um, um, and yeah the, the the thing I've found is mixing the archers and the elephants seems to give the um the infantry enough of a um solidity that you can hold on while you're um lancers do the business um in wherever you've pointed them at um i i found i had to use the um infantry aggressively to pin i suppose it's going back to my hellenistic tactics of use the infantry to pin your army and then use the lancers to charge in um, uh, how historic this is I, I we don't have any accounts as far as i'm aware of gupta indian tactics um but uh, no reason why they shouldn't have um learned from alexander the great in my opinion so that's my
0: story you know, to it. To it. yeah I mean, this is it's i mean this has lots lots of similarities with um classical indian army a couple of classical indians i have fought but i think the, the, the real difference are those lancers aren't they 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 yeah, there's a unique feature. Yeah, they're, they're, that's the the big difference between that. Otherwise, you know, there's a lot of continuity. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's good, solid, and sounds like a really good plan. You've got there. I mean, as can you remember how well you did with it?
1: I, I think I was mis- mid table. I I remember suffering uh, with uh, facing Gurid. Um, uh, and I, I, I also remember um, having a draw with Stephen Stead um, in that competition. I oh, the, the to Steve. I can't remember his army.
0: Yeah, the, the Gorids would have been Alistair, wouldn't they? Uh, I think they probably were. Yes, because I, I think in the same competition he wrote, he um, flattened me fifteen nil. <laughs> so. so I, I, no shame there. I would suggest so. Yeah, I mean it's as I say, it's good and solid. Um, I, I've found from fighting these armies, they can they can be really solid, solid. But if you can get past the front rank of those mixed units, they can collapse really, really quickly.
1: They sure can.
0: But yeah.
1: uh, but you yeah, by mixing in the elephants. It, it, means you're the one thing with elephants by the way is don't let them get outflanked. yes that's that's the thing that destroys elephants quicker than anything if you can get get overlaps on them so i always put uh, always had the elephants with the infantry close up next to them on either side um so the my opponent isn't getting overlaps against the elephants and yeah, once they're through into the archers behind. But I don't make the archers combat shy. Um, so they're not, um, They're, I mean, they're unprotected, but they're nothing worse than that. So, yeah, I,
0: I've, I've fought a couple where they have been combat shy. Yeah. And if you be in combat with them at that point, unprotected and combat shy, you're probably are getting two claims for that. They can collapse really quickly. They
1: can. I, I'm not a fan of the unprotected and combat shy.
0: I find they just die too quickly. Yeah. I I always I think it's well worth not using the combat shy. We we are we at all tempted by giving the bow to the elephants.
1: Uh, I'm I'm not a huge believer in. Uh, elephants are there to fight. They're not there to shoot. Is my attitude.
3: <laughs> yeah. You you say that, but I came up against Sid at the uh bad con with shooty elephants and i died very easy. but then it was elephants against elephants yeah
0: um and yeah elephants. because we're in twos yeah that's true. yeah <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah there's one thing about the twos of elephants they get shot at Yeah. it can so quickly go downhill
1: yeah I, I, if i'm if i am facing elephants with bow you want to get in uh into combat quickly although my my other trick there has been to leave the elephants a couple of base widths back from the foot so that you potentially can get some shots from your archers at the elephants and then move up um your own elephants um yeah if if the opportunity arises
0: yeah this is trying to ensure they're not shot at (laughs) If you're facing, so yeah. So the other downside of having the bow on the elephants is it means you 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 will always have to pay to charge. You'll always have to prompt them to charge, even within one base width. Indeed. They miss our focus. What 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 range do elephants shoot at? By the way.
1: Uh, I believe they shoot at three. They they. The mounted. Mounted bow. Yeah.
0: Yeah, thinking about the games I've played against classical Indian, it would be much harder against this one because of the Lancers. Mm. Definitely. Shall we move on to your army then? Matt? Yes, indeed. Tamil Indian, as we've been talking about elephants
2: in twos, very disparagingly, (laughs) I thought, but okay. Uh, (laughs) Right. (laughs) Tamil Indian um, has... Some slight differences to the most Indian list in that its infantry swordsmen are flexible, which is where I where I started this list, basically. Um, okay, so I went for the Tamil Indian in six sixty CE, which allows it to take uh, an Andra Harper ally, Harpura ally. I apologize sincerely for mangling that um it's not particularly different in this type to the tamil indian to be perfectly honest but it has, has a slight advantage for me so what i went with was a talented army commander two competent subgenerals, all instinctive and a talented instinctive ally external um now the ally came with uh, what i've given it is uh, all the elephants in the list are elephant tribal loose average protected shove standard elephants so the ally starts with uh, a, un- a tug of two of those you've then got the guard infantry which are infantry formed flexible superior protected melee expert block of eight then two lots of royal troops which are infantry formed flexible average protected melee expert two blocks of eight you then get into the main army which is two tugs of two elephants another block of eight guard infantry identical to the allies So form, flexible, superior, protected, melee expert. You've then got two blocks of tribal, flexible, average, protected, melee expert, two blocks of eight. Two blocks of archers, which are tribal, loose, average, unprotected, experienced, bow, combat shy, two blocks of eight. And then two blocks of loosely called cavalry, is in that they are cavalry, formed, loose, average, protected, unskilled, javelin, combat shy, two blocks of four for tugs. So that gives you 13 tugs. You've then got two blocks of six skirmishing archers, which are infantry skirmishers, average, unprotected, experienced bow, combat shy. Gives you six PBS, two scouting, break of seven on the tugs, 15 UGs, so it's a third deployment of five. I'm not keen on blocks of two elephants, but the only way I could come up with a list that I actually quite like to use is by maximizing out the melee expert swordsman. I don't think there's enough in the list that if you maxed out the archers that you'd be able to protect them. There's not enough elephants to be able to launch any kind of focused attack where you're not going to get decimated somewhere else. So my basic thoughts were two blocks of four cavalry. Basically, they work in a tag team. So they're on a flank somewhere. One's running away whilst the other one's moving forward to slow down whatever you're trying to slow down. Never getting in combat, fairly obviously being combat shy. Uh, and what you are then looking to do is put a 30-inch wide block of swordsman into something. You can actually go for a, 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 almost three foot if you went too deep. But if you go three deep, as in uh, three wide, sorry, and then three deep, well, three, three, two, um, you, you cover about 30 inches, 32 inches, something like that. Uh, and then the blocks of two elephants are actually behind that line. The idea is you go in with the swordsman either at angles or you're looking at removing troops out of the back so you can lose casualties if you're lucky so you can put two blocks of elephants in once the swordsmen are engaged. Ideal strain type, I'd be looking for jungles or something nasty and using the flex ball that way. So that's kind of where I went. I totally agree on the elephants being in twos. I don't like it, but I couldn't get it to work any other way that's essentially it uh the reason i went for the ally is they're all formed so that gives you a relatively good good ish maneuverable block supported by the other guard infantry so you've got um 32 super uh, 32 mixed superior and average protected melee expert to do something with and then again being form flexible you can go close so you could get shove against loose order infantry and so on it, it's it is what it is. It, it's not an exciting list, frankly, and that that's
0: where I'd have headed with it. So there you go. Yeah, I think. Well, I would say at least you've got a plan for the two base elephants that doesn't involve throwing them in straight away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Which, even I'm not that daft. <laughs> yeah, so so yeah, it's, it's almost I like quite a lot about this list apart from the two base elephants. I was I was just looking at the the list the Tamil Indian list, I do notice you can have superior elephants. You can, but... Or you could always have more elephants and downgrade those to average to give you more elephants if you wanted. True, uh, but I
2: think that then means you just don't have the points to take the ally. Right. I think that's where I ended up with the calculations. You just... Because you've got the minimum two tribal flex swordsmen that you have to have. I don't think I'm, I think I've got the minimum two archers. Everything else is, you know, as I could tweak it. I agree. If I could get blocks of three elephants, so much better. So what I'm looking at is counter punching with elephants Mm. in this version. Um, Also giving it a 15 um, command structure for deployment. Uh, I would be looking to put the elephants down quite early because I don't actually care where they go. They're going to be at the back of the combat line somewhere um so the elephants could go down early the cavalry could go down early okay it would probably flank uh, flag where i was likely to be skirmishing but maybe i'm not you know who knows what <laughs> i'd be up to i yeah. rarely do so you've got no chance
1: um, i'm i have to say i'm not a fan of i mean if, you, if you're putting the elephants at the back you've got one thousand four
2: hundred and forty points Sorry. my maths but, is a bit behind the main combat line as well yeah, I mean, okay. at the back of the table so well, I, know, the- I
1: meant that I, I meant that but you've got 1440 points that is not getting stuck in I'm not a fan of that I personally I think I would drop to 12 tugs and at least have the one group of elephants being in a four and being prepared to put them into the front line
2: um, I, I, I'm almost certain you're right that once I played it this
0: version, I'd almost certainly go to the four. But you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so if you like me, was it your experiential learner? Oh, very <laughs> much so. You have yeah, to yeah. do it before you what you intellectually know to be true before you believe it. You have to take your lumps. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'm
2: a firm believer in you know start with the insanity and then try and work my way up. <laughs> Just a quick question on the archers. Mm-hmm. There's the unit group sizes of four. There are on eight. The army list. <laughs> you may be looking at or am I looking at the wrong Magna one? Magna one, maybe? The cavalry and yeah. the archers right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, pretty about out the wrong one. That's why.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Been there, done that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, done done it while list checking. Nearly sent an email to somebody rejecting their list because I was looking at the wrong army list.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's a so, yeah. I would. I mean, from that, I would have put. Having learned that elephants don't work in twos very well, um, I would have put the three units into two
2: threes. On that one, I'm um, absolutely the ally. Um, I have to take four for the main list. So, oh, right. so, it's the ally so, so th- those two would that could become yeah. a four, and then I'd have to find the points for a third for the um ally, which is probably doable. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, taking on board uh, again, live, live, live adjustment of listing going on.
0: Um, I do like the guard infantry in this,
2: mm-hmm. I do.
0: I, I, uh, they I think they could lull people into the slight sense of they've got no impact charge phase weapon, but they are superior. So they put the, you know, so they, they're as good as, say, short spear.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It, well, they, they, they effectively become
2: good quality legionaries as soon as they're into the melee phase. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and what I really like about them is they, they just start expanding out because, once again, it's that beautiful thought that they only have to fight in a single rank. Yes. And they can keep broadening the combat out. So yeah, yeah. they I had
3: guard infantry with my Chola list exactly the same setup, and they were the ones that held quite solidly. And again, you know, it was
2: sort of like wide, keeping them wide. Um, Ironically, it's an Indian army that you don't want to fight another Indian army with because none of the infantry can fight elephants. (laughs) The melee expert is completely useless to you.
0: It, it, it is true it is true but you know put, put, put a lot of reliance on your skirmishing archers at that point to shoot down the
2: absolutely um, yeah yeah they would be the elite of the army
0: so but, um. yeah it's no. yeah i think it's interesting i said uh you know you do have that plan for the small elephant units which is good
2: mm. so, which won't survive contact and then i'll go to the bigger elephant units but nevertheless <laughs> So, <laughs> I think fundamentally it doesn't change how I'd use the army if I could get the three and the four block in, because I'd still be looking at a very large block of swordsmen.
0: Mm.
2: You know, basically just trying to bash a hole through with the elephants leading the way. If I, depending on what you're fighting, either leading the way or there as the, uh, the, the the counter on one side. I don't know, but yeah,
0: yeah it's an interesting choice. It's an interesting list. Yeah, I and mean, it's different. I mean, that's mm. part, part of the idea of this uh, this this podcast is to look at different wow. armies. You know, some of which will be good, some of which will be suboptimal, <laughs> <laughs> as we say. So, sh- shall I move on to a choice of mine then? Mm, go for it. So, um, I did. This is sort of nobody will be shocked to know that that my. I've actually I've actually brought two to this podcast we'll see how time goes as to whether we go through both of them but uh, my first choice was muslim indian sultanates um, yes yes nick's got an indian army but it's horse archers <laughs> so you know this is this is the 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 delhi sultanate um, army um, the the actual list has two main um, time periods in it um, before 220 CE, it is basically a Gurid army, uh, which can have quite a lot of form-flexible horse archers in it. Um, and after 220, the those horse archers disappear and they're replaced by just formed, loose, average, protected, experienced bow, short spear types. So your normal... Just,
1: just to stress, master. this is 1220 CE, not... Uh... 220
0: sorry did i say 220 my, my apologies to all yes 1220 which is absolutely right <laughs> so i i've in, in the interest of, of um, being a bit different from those armies like my, my Seljuk's with the the uh, the the form flexible armies I've, I've got a list here that is post 1220 actually dated it 1294 for what it um, partly because that gives gives some options i wanted to throw in anyway unlike unlike the other armies we've had so far this army has professional generals i've gone for a command structure of a competent professional cnc then a talented a competent and a mediocre professional in my subbies um, which ends up giving a pbs of eight Um, the army units i've chosen i've gone for elephants Um, elephants aren't compulsory um but it wouldn't be an Indian army if you didn't have elephants and as you can have fully armored elephants I've gone for fully armored elephants so I've gone for a unit of four <laughs> this is a, this is a punchy unit um, so the tribal loose obviously the average fully armored and they have shove and I have added unskilled firearm to them um, just because you can um, <laughs> I will say this, this is possibly a, a this is just a silly really and to be honest it, it works out as something really daft like three points a base or something um, for, for the cost of this so it's not exactly a lot um, it might actually be more sensible to drop it but it was there I had the points so I put it on um, so yeah that's a foot. you know they, they weigh in at 330 points of base you know that's 1320 points for that unit um, and rich will be glad to know i would not be planning to put them behind the line <laughs> they're, they're there to be pretty much up front and uh, in, in your face to something partly because they're so expensive and part because they are actually quite phenomenally powerful and being fully armored can really scare things okay so enough enough on that unit i've got two units of mamluks Drilled loose, superior, protected, experienced bow, short spear. Got three units of uh, the lesser versions of these, which are formed loose, average, protected, experienced bow, short spear. A six and two four bases of them. Um, then I've gone for two units of what are called neo-Muslims, and these are actually Mongols. They're Mongols who uh, left the, the the Mongol states, moved to the to the to the Delhi Sultanate, converted possibly (laughs) to some degree to Islam and were known as Neo-Muslims. I get two four base units of these, form flexible, average unprotected, skilled bow, short spear. That's quite nice, adding a couple of units of skilled shooters. Um, And then I've got three units of archers, um, tribal loose, unprotected, experienced bow combat shy all sixes one of which is average two of which is poor two poor ones are fairly obviously really really sit at the back types but they are experienced bow so you can get use out of them the average one can possibly actually stick its nose out and, and and be a little bit more not say aggressive but that might not be the right word but you can risk it a bit more um and I certainly had use out of a, an unprotected unit at Ice and Fire in my song, which is quite useful. So I think that. Um, two units of skirmishers. One of horse archers, uh, cavalry skirmishers, average, unprotected, experienced bow, cantabrian, combat shy. So they can work, you know, add those to the neo-Muslims and you could have six six files shooting as skilled bow. And then a unit of skirmishing javelin men who are infantry skirmisher, poor, unprotected, experienced javelin, combat shy. Um, yeah they're, 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 they're to some degree using at the points I've got a feeling they might just tip it up the scouting up to the four that is there um, and, and they can screen things as well um, unlike a lot, a lot of armies with elephants i am a bit less worried about the elephants being shot at in this army because they're fully armored but you do have those skirmishing javelin men there if you really feel the need um, to do that so in the army can have stand up planes and jungle as its terrain types, it'll probably want to go for a reasonable amount of open space because of the, the shooty cavalry types, uh, want to manoeuvre. Um, and it's, you know, in use, the elephants are going to feature really quite heavily as a as a hammer. Um, and the Neo-Muslims and the horse archers are therefore, you know, so the potentially six files of skilled shooters. The Superior Mamluk types um, will probably get used to at least one of them to support the elephants, otherwise the elephants are just going to get really isolated and come back, you know, the point Richard mate. don't let your elephants be outflanked and you may in fact, you know, end up with the two superior cavalry and the elephants being your major attack and the rest of the the cavalry essentially skirmishing, occupying and whittling down. So probably got, relies a fair amount on the elephants. I say the elephants, I've have, 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 have noticed this one, I've, I've used fully armoured elephants before, and they are quite a psychological impact on your opponent as well. And especially if you've got horses, you know, a, a mainly horse army will look at that and go, oh my God, not only is it elephants that can stomp me, if, if I shoot at them, they're fully armoured. Oh my God. <laughs> so that was my... Sort of Indian horse archer offering. Was it? Re- I, I I'll bet it wasn't a surprise to anybody. I, I, I really like the elephants
2: because I have this vision of somebody charging your elephants for whatever reason, and your unskilled firearms slowing them to a point where they don't actually make contact. <laughs> no, that would be funny. <laughs> and then you stomp them in the following turn. But uh... <laughs> yeah. no, it, it's an army I think we've talked about before, and I do like it. I do yeah some um, combination of shooty and fully armored elephants where could it go wrong <laughs> mm, well <laughs>
1: <laughs> that, that, yeah i think if if it's going to go wrong it's going to be because it has a bipolar problem it doesn't know whether it's a stompy army or a shooty army but it's uh um, it, it it i don't know about anybody else but it would scare the
0: I've, I've, used, I've used a version similar to that. If you really want to go very stompy, you can actually have eight elephants all fully armoured. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah, yeah. If, you, if you could find, say, another 300 points, you could swap out one of the Mamluks for a second unit of, of, of the elephant, fully armoured elephants. which you know, I think in the right circumstances would be absolutely terrifying. And it's
2: the eight PBS and four scouting cards, which actually gives you a fighting chance of going, surprise, I'm an elephant.
0: Yeah. When you deploy. <laughs> it's you know? it's, a, yeah, it's ambush, ambush the elephants in plain view. Yeah, yeah. Bet you didn't see us coming.
1: Ooh. So, <laughs> yes, the, the idea of ambushing with fully armoured elephants.
0: <laughs> don't give Matt ideas.
2: It's, it's okay. I've checked. The rules don't let me. No. <laughs> really you yeah. can't ambush elephants oh they I, I didn't know, know that. that i may have misread it actually thinking about
1: it I, I, I didn't think there was any restriction but there you go
2: no i didn't think
0: there was
1: you probably can't invisibility is going to be your issue but
0: yeah they, they might not move very quickly yeah. i will let you check that matt so you know it's just Usual stunned silence my army seemed to get. (laughs) Or it's a case of, yeah, Nick's brought horse archers. (laughs) What can we say?
2: No, you get kudos because it's a horse archer army with armoured elephants. I mean, it's not even (laughs) your normal insanity. Sorry, sanity.
0: Yes. No, this army can have them. The Ghaznavids can have them. And I think the Gurids can have them as well. Armoured oh, elephants and, and shooty oh. cavalry. Yeah. I yeah. can't the remember if fol- the tim- Timurids can as well. Uh, the following may not ambush. Army commanders, elephants,
2: battle wagons, artillery, camps, bugs with barricades or obstacles. Blimey.
0: There you go, well, I must admit I'd never considered ambushing elephants.
1: <laughs> well, I presume the trumpeting would give them away. But... Uh... <laughs> It depends
3: they the flying elephants. Yeah.
0: On, on, on the other hand, I, I remember from a, a, a safari trip, I think it was in South Africa, and elephants can emerge from bush that you where you never saw them, and suddenly there's an elephant. But they're <laughs> Perhaps, not the animal type. Yeah, no, Also, probably, probably it's a single <laughs> elephant. Yeah, if the bush is high enough, you don't necessarily see them coming. In the jungle. Yeah. But that that might just because I know very little about elephants other than. It's big and it's over there. Perhaps if you're more Can wide you imagine to... your scouting commander having to
2: explain that one. What do you mean you didn't see them coming?
0: <laughs> right. say, we'll digress. Especially these, because certainly the, the ones that fought Timur at the Battle of Delhi they were fully armoured, they had towers on them, and they had men with with firearms and, and basically primitive hand grenades. So, yeah, I'm sure they weren't very ambushable. But <laughs> or, I, I, I do question throwing
2: hand grenades from elephants, the effect that must have on the elephant.
0: Well, but, well uh, later on, they put effectively small cannon on elephants. Oh, this is true. I, my mogul my, my
2: Indian army has exactly those figures modelled with mm-hmm.
0: a small um, handgun. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it's, it's maybe not as stupid as it sounds. OK, well, so, so that, does, that seems to have just left us talking about armoured elephants and whether we could ambush them or not I'll, I'll quickly go through the other list I, I, I did knock up for this podcast um, just because I'm on holiday and I had nothing to do this morning um, I, just, I just thought I'd look at a Rajput Indian this was sort of a based on a, an Indian army with cavalry but not the horse archers <laughs> um, and, and the Rajputs of course have charging lancers so I thought I'd see what I could come up with for this. So this is again, from the Rajput Indian list, um, we go back to a mainly instinctive um, command structure with three competent, instinctive generals, army commander, two sub generals. Um, I've gone for, because you can have it and why not, a Tibetan ally, an early Tibetan ally in this. Um, now the ally general has to be professional, and I've gone with the oh so risky competent version. But yeah, you know, I don't. Think, it's not that risky, as, we, as I'm certainly finding out having used them. I, I, I have, as with skirmishers, I've signed up to Richard's theory on allies. That competent allies are pretty safe, so I've gone for a Tibetan ally in this. The the actual Indian part of it, I I, I couldn't. I stuck with elephants though they're not fully armoured. I've gone for two fours of elephants, tribal loose, average protected shove. So these are in your face go stomp things. Three units of charging lancer cavalry, these are formed loose, average protected, charging lancer melee expert, three sixes. Um, Now Rajputs are allowed some fanatic cavalry so I thought I've really got to have those haven't I. Um, You can only have four of them but it's a unit of formed loose, superior protected, charging lancer, melee expert, fanatics. 1,000 points for four bases. Um, (laughs) So I'll leave you to decide whether that's sensible. Two units of the usual Indian archers, tribal loose, average unprotected, experienced bow combat shy. Two units of skirmishing javelin then each six bases, infantry skirmishers, poor, unprotected, unskilled javelin, combat shy. Two units to go with the two elephant units. You know, these aren't fully armoured, so you need some um, highly disposable skirmishers in front of them just to take that one shot just in case. So that's their role in life, to go out there and catch missiles if needed. And the amusing, what, the amusing portion of this army to last are the Tibetans. Um, Three units of dismounted cataphracts. Each of them are six bases of infantry formed close, average fully armoured long spear shove. So, I mean, the idea of this army is you've got those three units are damned solid infantry who are relatively missile proof because they're fully armoured, long spear. So, you know, what's going to charge them and worry them? Somebody will now say elephants because they're only formed. <laughs> but, you know, they've got two units of elephants, three units of charging cavalry. OK, you could say well, they're only average, but and then the one unit of fanatic cavalry that can just go and really, really make somebody's day irritating by just not dying. <laughs> you know, and, and having to be wiped out to the last man. So that was my. Off the, this was this was a, cl- a fifteen minute knock it together. I'll be there. You are. <laughs> How, is it
2: insane? Just for the Tibetan ally, I'd use it. It's genius. <laughs> so I'm afraid it gets the genius mark from me. I'm afraid so. It's probably insane, but um,
0: no, no, no. Oh, I, I'm with that list all the way. You know? It's it's the combination of those plus two elephants and the fanatic cavalry really did it for me. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I, I, I'm just imagining this line of Tibetan infantry walking forward with elephants on either side, or, or them on either side of the elephants, in fact.
0: That did cross my mind.
2: <laughs> it just makes a fearsome center. But, uh, yeah. yeah. No, no, thumbs up from me.
0: <laughs> oh, I'll take that as a win. It's mad, <laughs> mad enough for Matt. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
2: and there are so many pretty figures out there for that army. I'm
0: sure you could, yes. I'm sure you could really tart up the heroic cavalry as well. <laughs> I see Richard looking vaguely, vaguely yeah. unsure about this. I,
1: I just don't know what I'd do to... Yeah, it would be a nightmare to fight.
0: Yeah, I, I, it's one I, I knocked up and thought, well, what would, buy, what would the Muslim Indian do against you? I think, yeah, it'd be a bit uncomfortable, quite frankly.
1: Yeah, I think there'd be quite a lot of things that would be... Scratching their heads, thinking, "What, what do we, now? What do we do?"
0: Yeah. Um,
1: hmm. <laughs> okay.
0: Oh, yeah. I do wonder if it might just be a shade lighting command. This is Nine cards for the, you know, the two elephant units and the four cavalry units. It's nine for six, but mm, the elephants can drain them if you have to. Yeah, yeah. I if mean, you ever you, have to wield them?
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you were going genuinely competition, you, you could drop the fanatics because that's a big chunk of points that doesn't necessarily give you.
0: Are they an normal superior? Y- yes, uh, the 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 cavalry portion, um, the charging lancers, uh, the melee expert's optional. But I think if you take them, you take the melee expert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. H- half the cavalry can be superior. Yeah. Um, of which four of the superiors can be made the fanatic. Uh, Okay. It it, might get you slightly more command, but
2: it's a list I'd try even in that format. I
1: think think fanatics just have that thing, the psychology uh, effect on your opponent. Um, It's difficult to get away from that idea. They're fanatics. True. Um, and so, I'm going, so people worry and then overreact to them. Yeah. So, so, I, so,
2: I, so I would keep them in there. So so what you're saying is, oh, there are fanatics next to those fully armoured long spear, next to those elephants. Yeah, I'm not playing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it could be intimidating.
2: It, yeah, that would be intimidating. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, well,
2: there you go, Nick. You're going to have to use it at some point now.
0: I, I, I don't have the figures for it. No. Oh, Luckily, powerful. I do. Actually, <laughs> I, I, I did. I did have the dismounted cataphracts because I have a, a Nan army that can have Tibetan allies, um, and I did get some dismounted cataphracts. But then I thought I'm never actually going to use them. There's a different version of the Nan I actually prefer. Um, just the overall balance of the army is, is better, in my view, without them. So, last year it was a case, okay, so I was one of those ones clearing out some figures that I thought, well, I'm really never going to use these. I flogged them on. If I'd had this list at the time, <laughs> I might have gone. Actually, I'll keep them and buy the, and accumulate the other bits over time. You realise
1: you're going to have to buy some dismounted frets and paint them up
0: now. I, I have I have enough painting on of, uh, <laughs> waiting my my brush at the moment without doing that. So, so Rob, are you <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, so Rob, are you tempted
2: by that kind of nutty approach to um?
3: I am actually, I mean I've, one of the things I am looking at is just because as I said with the Indians you can multi-purpose the troops right throughout the whole thing so I'm sort of built, it's going to be a case of building extra bits, extra tugs on onto the army just have that options so I can play it and actually I've got some, you know, actually going through some of these lists is really good ideas not just the uh, Rajput but I mean even looking at the Muslim Indians and the Guptas and I think they're all really interesting lists that give me options and places to go within the future so yeah the
0: the Rajput has probably got the least sort of reuse of troops in it (laughs) yeah I mean it's elephants I mean I've got Mm, elephants and archers you'll have and Yeah, and uh, yeah, archers are coming out my ears. So, uh, all, all, all I'm going to say now is, is, is that we, we, we can't publish this podcast till after the list submission deadline for roll call because <laughs> I don't want to meet this Rajput army with the army <laughs> I've taken. To call. I was, yeah. <laughs> so, 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 yes, <laughs> I haven't said that for the time being.
2: I, I haven't sent you my roll call list yet, have I, Nick? Well, I'm not, I'm not the list checker for it, so you don't have to send it to me unless you want. To. Well, no, you might have to send it to me first so I can say, oh, you've already sent it to me. <laughs>
0: oh, God, I'm going to regret this. You could be facing two of them. Oh, well, actually, no, I suspect you'll be. and an Meet it in the first round, lose, assume the other one hasn't lost. can't meet at least in the second round (laughs) so I'm going to regret designing this list aren't
2: I it's tempting I'm I'm very tempted I have to admit but
0: uh, I'm starting to think of dismounted cataphracts again anyway (laughs) enough of of our pondering on this I've got one possibly last question for Rob Mm -hmm. based off something you said earlier and I think you might mention to me before you said you tried the Vijay Anagar. Oh yes. <laughs> what was it about that list you didn't particularly like? I mean,
3: I think it was more the fact that I only played two games with it in the end because that was a tournament that I dropped out because of the thing, but i scored two points over two games and it just didn't it just didn't feel that it could do anything. Right. Okay. <laughs> it, <laughs> It was just holding back the tide and it just held back as much. I think the elephants did a little bit, but, you know, they they became the glass cannons that they sometimes can be in yeah. the thing. You know, they destroyed one unit in the entire thing. And that was only because I managed to flank with the, had one elephant unit in front and then the flank with the other elephant unit. <laughs> <That> <laughs> so is, I managed to, And that was actually uh, against Ray. Oh, right, so yeah, um yeah, and then I got total fifteen nil on the the next game. <laughs> so but then that was coming up against medieval hundred years wars. Um like thing. So point. I just think it's a case of it probably worked on the subcontinent but wouldn't work in the middle of Europe. As <laughs> <So, laughs> <there's> an army.
0: <laughs> um, Fair enough. I did I did just wonder.
3: Yeah, so I mean, it, it it was, I I went for it because I like the quirky side of things, and you know, when playing Meg it's just, funny. I get bored. With, I mean, it's like I've got Roman army, I've got Spartan army, but I'm just I found them just boring because it's sort of like everybody's done them. It's like the solid thing. I like to go a bit quirky and make. Okay, I'm not going to win with the things, but it's just. Also, the fact that painting
0: up figures and stuff is the other thing, which is actually my main passion. I mean, mean, it's a hobby, isn't it? It's all about enjoyment. So you know, it's you know, it's whether whether that's the painting side, the playing side, you know, or even you know, know, I quite like knocking lists up occasionally, just just to see what you can get out of it. So what, why not? Okie dokie, chaps. I think we've 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 come to the end of the lists. I, I will just say I've literally
2: just tweaked the um, Tamil <laughs> list. I've just just sent it to you all um, by by dropping the sub one of the subgenerals to mediocre, combining the cavalry into a block of six rather than a block of eight. You, uh, you can combine the main list elephants into four and add a third into the ally. Gives you eleven uh, tug size and two blocks of effective elephants. And that's all you need to do to make the list far better. So I've taken on board all your advice. There you go. Um, (laughs)
0: We're going to have to have this as 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 a regular feature in this, aren't we? Uh, we, We'll start off with you at the first list, and then see (laughs) at the end of the podcast we will come back and find out what the what the revised list looks like. But uh, yeah, for for the for the listeners, we'll put both your original and the amended version up again. (laughs) Because I just had a quick glance of it. Uh, Must admit, I think it looks better. so it's it's all good so um what as a last thing what what have we we've got a subject i believe for our next podcast although we're not not going to commit ask us to commit to a date just yet so which has been suggested by one of our listeners um and we will be moving to spain for that one um, I, I think unless unless anybody anybody has any objections, it's, it's a good choice. Let's let's do it. yes'
3: yeah. my I'm building Portuguese next.
0: <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, and 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 uh, just I think just to wet everybody's appetite, we'll, I'll, I will let on what period it is. It, it would have been suggested that perhaps we could cover the armies around about the time of El Cid. Yeah. So get your Chant and Heston <laughs> references ready. <laughs> um, we will obviously be de- deciding which armies we will be looking at as part of that. But you know that part of the, the, the I suppose the start of the Reconquista is is when it is. Um, we may be looking around for guests. Who knows a guest or guests? But uh, that will be the subject of the next podcast when when we have time to do it. So. Thank you to the um, person who suggested that, whose name I have completely forgotten. Um, Tony Perkins suggested that. So thank you, Tony. Wow. Um, unless anybody's got any other information they feel they wish to pass on to the listeners. No? No. Nope. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> <The> deafening <laughs> silence tends to suggest. Must remember not to nod my head when the camera's not on. <laughs> i think we, we have reached the reached the end of this podcast so hopefully that's been enjoyable for you listeners um giving you a number of lists to think about they will be going up on the blog the um the url will of course be in the notes when we announce it um and we'll have to see how many rajput indian armies come out of it i suppose <laughs> <laughs> okay thanks guys and uh, i think that's the end of the podcast